Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. As you know, when I come across an empowered woman who's all about empowering others, I want to share her journey with you, which is exactly why I'm excited to speak with Brooke Mullen of Sapan. But before she joins us, let me tell you how I randomly found out about Sapan. In the March issue of Harper's Bazaar, which is also kind of random because I don't subscribe to Harper's Bazaar, but it's been showing up in my mailbox for the last several months, and it's addressed to Tina Brazell. I do not know how that became Karen Anderson April, but whatever. So it shows up, and I usually just kind of flip through it and then recycle it. But March's issue had Venus and Serena Williams on the cover, and I'm a huge tennis fan, and I love the Williams sisters. So I took a little closer look at this issue. And as I was flipping through... This backpack purse caught my eye. It was like this roundup of a lot of products that they were featuring on this one page. In the top right corner was this rose-colored kind of pinkish backpack purse with this round circular hardware embellishment that I thought was really attractive, very pretty, a classic looking bag. And it reminded me of a bag that I'd come across in a boutique, I'm not kidding, like three, four years ago when I was in Indianapolis and I was out with some friends and clearly I have not forgotten about this bag that I didn't purchase that day, but it stuck with me because I looked at this, this bag in Harper's Bazaar and I was like, I think that's the same bag (laughs) or at least a bag made by the same company and a similar style. So I headed over to Sapan's website and found that not only are the purses, backpacks, crossbody bags, and wallets absolutely gorgeous, I also learned that Sapan provides employment for women in Thailand. As Sapan's website puts it, our luxury leather bags and accessories not only look good, they're helping make the world a more beautiful place by honoring the basic human rights of workers throughout our value chain. We've fully embraced a regenerative business model that prioritizes personal empowerment over charity. And human rights is at the heart of all we do. And I'm all about this buy a beautiful bag and simultaneously uphold human rights life. So obviously, I wanted to share more about Sapan and its founder, Brooke Mullen, with the Love and Life community. Here's a little more about Brooke. Brooke Mullen, the founder and designer of Sapan, is passionate about traveling, entrepreneurship, female empowerment, craft beer, and is a yogi, proud wife, and mom of two boys. Mullen returned to her hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska in 2018 after living in Thailand for a decade. While in Thailand, she worked at the United Nations on human trafficking, completed an MA in human rights, and started the fashion brand Sapan. Sapan, meaning bridge in Thai, designs and produces high-quality leather goods and fashion accessories for consumers with similar values. 
Mullen built a unique sourcing and manufacturing advantage by mobilizing rural Thai communities through fair, ethical, and purposeful work. Sapon is sold online at sapon.com, across the U.S. in boutiques, and at their first flagship store in Lincoln. My interview with Brooke Mullen, founder of Sapon, right after this. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, and it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. Brooke, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's so exciting and awesome to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. I really appreciate the time and I'm excited to share, to learn more myself and also to share with my community more about Sapan. And I was flipping through Harper's Bazaar earlier this month or last month, saw this darling backpack that had this really distinctive little circle detail. I think it serves a purpose. You can tell us in a moment. But I thought that is such a good looking bag. And so I went to, you were offering a promo and I went to your website and found that besides being a really sharp looking bag, you have a really important and profound mission behind Sapan. So tell the the listeners a little bit about how you got into this space and you're doing this empowering work to support women who don't always have the same opportunities as women in the West do. So share with us the origin story of Sapan. Oh my gosh, the origin story of Sapan definitely has, you know, did start out to be a fashion brand. And in some ways we say that we're not, we're all about mobilizing human rights and women. So, but where I found myself, I started um, this month, actually, we're celebrating 12 years in business. So gosh, was it 2008? My husband and I we were both early 20s had gotten married and moved to Thailand to study human rights. I was doing my master's in human rights. And then I started doing an internship at the United Nations there on human trafficking. So during my experience, I came to understand like the lack of local job opportunities really push people into like high migration and vulnerabilities and trafficking and all these issues. And one of the main reasons was just a lack of job opportunities in their own village. And so I kind of was like perplexed. And I was like, how do we solve this? And like, can business be part of the solution? And kind of simultaneously, I started meeting all these women. I love markets. And if you've ever been to Asia, especially Thailand, there's like plethora of markets. And it's just kind of feeds my soul is meeting women and, you know, learning about their craft and what they're selling. And And so I started learning about all these different women-led co-ops in really rural communities throughout Thailand and learning more about kind of their struggles to remain sustainable and just some challenges they face as businesses. And I was like, well, here's the gap and also the opportunity that we have, but maybe we could create some jobs. The idea would be if we created a lot of jobs and opportunities in these villages, it would hopefully give women more opportunities that they didn't have to migrate in search of work and better work-life balance. And so that was kind of this whole idea that I was just jumbling around in my head. And at the time, my husband was doing his PhD, um, his research in Myanmar, which was under a dictatorship at the time. And we met this like really brilliant young woman, but just faced like tons and tons of like trying and obstacles. Um, We asked her what would change her life circumstances. And she said education. So here I am like going, gosh, what tangible impact? What am I going to do with a human rights degree? And here sitting right across from me is like, well, here's an opportunity to create a lot of change and impact. 
so we created a scholarship for her. And again, I was just all about like, let's just test this idea. So in six months before I went back to the States to visit family, I had met all these women in rural villages, bought a lot of the goods that they were selling and then flew back to Lincoln, Nebraska, had a pop-up show at my parents' house and everything sold and people were wanting more of everything. And all of the women in this community, in this group of ours were just nipping at the bit to like buy and get more, just loving the story and the quality and everything. And so I was like, okay, this is something like we're onto something. And this is something I'm uber passionate about. And that kind of kicked off Sapan. So the next month, this young girl moved to Thailand and study and we were funding her education through, through Sapan for the first like two, two and a half years. And so as that kind of kicked off, at one point I was traveling 2,500 miles by bus to meet women, to meet artisans in their village, to learn from them, design collections together. So at one point as a solo entrepreneur, I was designing nine product lines all throughout the country. And then I would fly back to sell everything during holiday season. Long story short, we spent a decade in Thailand. It's been a very empowering, it's a different way of doing business. It's really putting human rights at the forefront of how business is done which has just been life-changing for a lot of people. While, like you said, we create these beautiful buttery soft leather products that have a different story to them. I love how you're studying human rights. That seems so big and so massive. And you think, wait, where are the brass tacks? How do we actually get from this theoretical kind of esoteric notion of human rights and apply it on a daily basis to make a difference. And what Sapan's story is, is exactly that, which I think is just really so remarkable, which is why I wanted you to share your story is so important. And I think we can communicate our values. Sometimes we all get overwhelmed. We see a documentary about human rights abuses and and trafficking and things that just break our heart in a million pieces. We don't know what to do. It seems so out there and so enormous that our little efforts wouldn't make a difference. But what I love about Sapan and what you're doing is saying, okay, we can do one thing today, which is if I happen to be in the market for a bag, why don't I spend my money toward my values and through that process or to tell someone about Sapan so that they maybe go, okay, let's bypass fast fashion, which we don't even know how these these items are made. It could be in a sweatshop or with all kinds of things that would not align with our values. Or we could buy something that we know is going to further a woman's education and her opportunities in a part of the world where those educational opportunities or those employment and career opportunities are maybe not as abundant. A hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. And and that's where the foundation of Sapan and where it all started was how are we going to do things differently? And I just started, I was like, I just need to go and understand, go to these villages, understand how these women work, learn about their challenges. What are they facing? Where their dreams are? What do they want? If I'm here to empower them, that's the first person I should be asking is what does that look like to you? Part of this whole journey and where we're so different and, and how we operate is, is having that consultation process with our end supplier. And that's just, like you said, human rights can be so, so like this massive, massive thing, but really it can be broken down and just these very simple things of having a conversation and doing no harm and being accountable Mm. to our supply chain and allowing our supply chain and the people who are impacted by our business decisions to have a voice within that process. And right there is really is human rights in a lot of ways. And I remember at the time when I started this, a lot of brands, you know, in 2008, 2010, after Rana Plaza, especially when, you know, we're starting to hear more about fast fashion and the impact 
and kind of the slavery that happens behind closed doors. A lot of the brands were, you know, had mentioned, this is just such a big thing for us to undertake. And I was like, well, if I can do it, you know, I'm going to prove this wrong and I'm going to try my best and I'm going to the villages. And it's been a beautiful journey to really rally around these women. And again, what do they want? And one of the amazing things that we do is we consult with them on the pricing. So they really set their own wages. We found that they know best what things cost and what they need to be sustainable and whatnot and what their livelihood look like. And so it's not about chasing, this is like so full pop, like business. It's not about chasing the cheapest dollar and how much you can windle your, your cost of goods down to, which is something that we've found to really pay, pay dividends exponentially in different ways. I know with a lot of the businesses last few years with COVID, a lot of people had massive supply chain issues. And that was something we didn't have because of our just direct consultation and our relationship with our artisans and the communities we were able to like troubleshoot and find different solutions that were just beautiful and ones we wouldn't have ever thought about. But that open door and that relationship and that mutual respect really created a lot of change and impact for both of us. And so those are just some simple ways that we've been able to like distill this big concept of human rights down to very tactical ways to mobilize and empower people, especially within the fashion industry. And in psychology, we talk a lot about having agency and feeling that we have a choice and that what we do matters. And when we don't feel that, we are much more likely to feel the things you'd expect us to feel, to feel depressed and anxious. And so one of the ways that we can empower ourselves is to make these purchases that align with our values. And also knowing that we're helping women's empowerment worldwide is really gratifying. And it's a really beautiful work that you're doing. I wanted to ask about the woman that you mentioned on your website. You were just there in the markets having conversations, like you said, with the artisans. What would make a difference for you? And how was that received? Like in a certain community, would they want some outside young 20-something with all the best intentions in the world? But was that well-received or were you perceived as an outsider? How did that go? Great question. So I was really naive thinking, I was like, well, I would love to see how you make these silk scarves. And I mean, this wasn't just a one-off conversation. This is a woman, woman I talked to several times in the market. And so we kind of had this relationship and my tie was very, and it still is pretty basic. So through translation and whatnot, I learned that her village was six hours away from Bangkok or an hour from where I lived and was six hours away. And I'm going, okay, well, yeah, I guess like I would love to go see how things are made and, you know, learn about your story. And thankfully she, I was just really embraced by that. And because most people don't ask those questions. And mm. I think that's what they were kind of struck with. Most people don't seem to care. And so I think they were just very excited to open things up and share out of excitement, and enthusiasm of what they're doing and what they're creating and capable of. And of course, that's one of the main things I knew I would have to build was the trust. And so that's why I would start with really small orders with them, 10, 20, 50 pieces, whatever they could, what seemed reasonable for them. And then I would go, okay, I'm coming back in two months and we'll talk more. And we kind of got to, of course, build relationship that way and trust that, no, this woman actually is showing up and what she says is true and she does follow that. And so I started then doing some of our own design work because of learning from our customers in the States of really what they were wanting and what they were drawn to more. And again, 
the women in Thailand were like, well, this is great because we've never thought about designing it in this way. And so it's kind of taken some of their creative stuff in a different direction. And sometimes they laugh. They're like, this is really ugly, but if you love it, that's great. <laughs> um, which is beautiful. I mean, then I'm like, okay, then we might be onto something. But I think the beginning, it just really started with that trust and really being able to speak the language and, you know, being there for 10 years, it, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, a lot of things were very gradual. One of the things that was really important to us was we wanted to trace our whole supply chain. So even with our hardware, I started working with people directly within that. So being able to bring those our hardware to our artisans and connect them to different people in Thailand for their own connections, as well as they continue to, to grow. But it took me seven years to actually trace where our tannery was and where this beautiful leather that Sapan's become known for, this buttery soft leather, where it was actually being crafted because I tested a lot of different leathers in Thailand and nothing stood up to this one. And so I got to meet the family behind it. But again, that took a long time to build that trust and that relationship. Yeah, I'm just struck by the, like you said, it's the relationship building and it's about being genuine. It's about showing up when you say you're going to show up. It's about coming back when you say you're going to come back. And it's about being sincerely interested and curious as to the process. And, and once you're there enough with that genuine relationship, the trust can just build naturally. And that's just a really beautiful story. And I love with you being able to say, the women really like this. And they're like, mm, okay, if that's what you ladies like. But it's just, <laughs> it's that process of like anything. You test the market, right? I mean, I don't know a lot about business, but you test the market. You see what seems to be compelling and attractive to your consumer. And then it's a beautiful part of, like you said, being able to source something that really is extraordinary. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know for a fact, but when I, as I mentioned, when I was flipping through Harper's Bazaar and saw the Darling Backpack, that, what's the name of it? We should start plugging your products. It's called the Chloe. Yes. Yeah, the Chloe. So all of our bags are actually named after really inspired women, women in my life who've impacted me. So Chloe's actually named after one of my childhood best friends. Oh, um, Yeah, because as women... It's to be supported and to have a, you know a tribe of women behind you and who've impacted you in your journey. As you know, there's fewer ways to give recognition to them along the way, and this is just one way. As a women-owned brand, this is one way we're giving a big nod to to women who've really paved the way and we're standing on the shoulders of today. I love that, and it's just like you said, a nod to the fact that none of us are able to do any of the things we do on a daily basis without our our support of, of women, our mothers, our grandmothers, those who went before us, those who are walking with us currently. And that's a beautiful gesture to your childhood friend. And it is a beautiful oh. backpack. <laughs> and I'm pretty <laughs> sure, I wanted to ask you when we talked, I'm pretty sure that I was in Indianapolis a couple years ago and I was so struck by this bag. And I'm pretty sure, because you do sell, I know you have your flagship store right now in Lincoln, right? But you do sell some wholesale to some boutiques across yes. the country. Is that correct? And Indianapolis would be one of our stockless places. So if you saw one, that very, very possibly was, it's very distinctive. So it our hardware is, is the Omega. And it's very, very distinctive. When you see it, you see it and you know it. And I kind of laugh because it's with our customers. It's almost kind of like the Jeep. You know, when you have a Jeep and you kind of have this Jeep wave, our customers will come to me and they'll be like, oh, Brooke, I was in Dallas Airport or wherever and the TSA line and I got stopped and somebody else had the same, you know, like we connected and kind of gave a little wave and we both had like the Omega and, or it's people are getting stopped all the time going, okay, where'd you get that? I need that in my life, which is one of the best compliments ever where 
people get to talk about the functionality and like how it feels. It's like, oh my God, touch my purse. I mean, it's just something kind of innate to Sapan. And then of course it goes into this bigger conversation of women and the bridge that we're building um, in Thailand. And our customers are part of that. Their name is on that bridge. Their name is part of what makes this all happen and all carry forward and all possible. In setting out to design this collection or just even this business, there's a few like key components. It was going to be timeless because that's also sustainable. And then it was also just going to have really thoughtful, functional designs that really fit women's needs. I love doing pop-up events. We're now having our flagship store is because customers come to us all the time and, and will tell us, I'm looking for this perfect bag. And I'm always like, describe, tell me all about what this perfect bag you have in your mind that doesn't exist look like. And, and we get to design that. Or we can say, hey, on the rack here, this is what this was designed for. And being able to like fit that and give that gift to women where it's like, a bag is really important. And having something that feels like it meets your needs in more ways than one is just awesome too. So we really wanted to be able to design this gorgeous, beautiful bag, buttery soft leather that also just tells this crazy, crazy cool story and creates beautiful change. So the embellishment that I was speaking to earlier that looks like kind of like a big circle, that's called the Omega? Yes, we call it our Omega. That was my first design, my collection. It was I'm not a designer by trade. I'll say that. So getting into this, I just knew one way to empower women was I needed to change up the designs to fit our customers in the States, kind of what they were after and what I mm-hmm. knew they wanted. So I've never taken a design class, never drawn like art class or anything. So my solution to any of this was I just walked the streets of Bangkok and started to find where the hardware shops were, where the lining, where the leather shops. And I would buy all these samples and just like small pieces and tons of hardware and I would lay them out on my desk when I'm supposed to be writing my thesis. Um, <laughs> and I would start designing bags. And I was so struck by this Omega piece because I was like, there's so many functional elements to it because you can like wrap your two fingers around it and you can carry it. So the first bag I designed was called the M. It's this beautiful, it's still one of our top selling styles, but it's this beautiful square shaped bag that fits an iPad. So everything that I designed, it was like, oh, it has to be like really thought out, like what I'm going to carry in it and what mm. is it going to look like and how is it going to function? And And so, yeah, you can even hold it by its top to like the handles, which just has this kind of very classy, clean look to it that makes like, I was just picturing like I'm going into all these meetings, these business meetings, and I just want to look really put together and feel really Mm -hmm. strong inside. And that was the first bag that came out. It's such a pretty embellishment, but... I was looking on your website and I noticed it was also functional. It can, yeah, you can carry it right. Form and function. (laughs) Right. That's what we're all about. Form and function. A hundred percent. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. You've been sharing about the the process of finding the leather. And so tell us a little bit about all the moving parts now. So do you still do pop-ups? And I know you have boutiques across the country and in your flagship store in Lincoln. So how does the whole process from start to finish, how does it go? 
oh my gosh, it's <laughs> beautiful and so fun. And like to unpack it. So I moved back to the States three years ago. And before I would sit down with our artisans one-on-one and I would have my sketches, which were terrible, but it was great because I could talk through what I was designing, what I was envisioning. And then it's like super talented is that they can take the idea and build. I mean, we don't have tech that we're using in our in our sample process. So everything's actually done by hand. We draw everything by hand. And when I say we, the artisans do this, but it's all the samples and all the patterns are done with cardstock and it's just all by hand. They make a sample. We kind of go back and forth. We make edits to the sample and whatnot. Another kind of caveat with any of this whole process is all of our lining in our bags is all dead stock. So I was finding all this beautiful fabric and I'm like, what are you doing with this? And it was over-processed. Of course, if you know much about the fashion industry, there's so much waste yes. when fabric's made, it's not being used. So we started using in our handbags, these different cotton swatches, I and mean, of course, in reels. And so each season, if you know the whiskey is going to have this color, but it changes every season. Things are made in small batches, but you also get this beautiful pop of color and interest in each um, So it's kind of something that definitely a really unique part of Sapan. But we go back and forth. Samples are made. I do two collections twice a year. Every year I'm always designing probably, we launch like probably three to five new pieces because I just can't help myself. Um, (laughs) But once they're designed and they're made, they're shipped over to Lincoln, Nebraska. And we have a team, a small team, but we have a team here in town who puts all the hardware on. So all the hardware that you see, all that mega actually gets assembled here in the States. And we just kind of found out the hard way that shipping it actually with the hardware on just caused so many, so much damage to the leather as it got shipped. So we tag everything, put that on. And then we always have like big launches and big parties. We just opened a flagship store a year ago. So it's been amazing to, during COVID, open a store. But we just had such great response from our local community and people driving through town stopping in and just being able to see and experience the leather is just something like nothing else. And you kind of brought up pop-ups and that's how I really started was flying back fourth quarter. And I would just travel all over doing pop-up events for Christmas and houses and small craft fairs at the time. And those I still love to do. So we still do a handful of them. We love to collaborate and be invited to other ones throughout the US, but it gives us an amazing chance to really showcase the leather and tell the story. And it's just such a beautiful experience. So we continue to do those. And of course, like we have these crazy fashion shoots and photo shoots and stuff like that. And all of our models are, they're everyday women, which is also awesome in our communities. And we get to collaborate with local photographers and makeup artists. And it's all, it's all women who are just uber talented. So it's, it's one of the biggest joys of Sapan is truly, it's a bridge of a lot of people who pour their talent into making something truly beautiful. I did notice on your website that you have a photo that says the lining currently is this. And I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool because people will know, like you said, that's a small batch. So then if you like that lining, snatch it up now because the next run will be something different. But just it, it just really underscores the uniqueness, the handcrafted, just that it's something it's a piece that is so different from something that's coming off some massive factory somewhere. And it just brings all that personal element to it, even in the lining of of each bag. Totally. Yeah, we get kind of excited about the details. So you'll see when you get a Sapan bag that it will have a stamp hidden someplace that will say, you know, do something beautiful or be the bridge. And it was Mm -hmm. interesting during COVID, I had a customer reach out. She was a teacher. And of course, we know teachers what they went through during COVID. 
she said she was sitting there after a meeting and she looked up and on her bag, she hadn't noticed it, but it said, be the bridge. And Mm. she was like, it just struck me. And it was just something I needed as like a little mental trigger to like, this is going to be okay. And this is why I'm here. And this is a, this is the impact I get to do and make. I'm the bridge for these kids. And it was just a beautiful experience and story to hear from customers and how those little things touch and shape us and just kind of give us that mental reflection and kind of stop us in our tracks when we need it. Right. And give us that little word of encouragement, right? When we maybe didn't realize we needed it, but we did. And I love that the lining too, as you mentioned, there's so much waste in the fashion industry and also in design Mm -hmm. in general. So that's another value you're able to embed into your products is that, well, we're going to find those beautiful pieces of fabric that would otherwise be just tossed out and we're going to use them. So it's just so many different values that are able to be brought into it, the manufacturing process. And then also the consumer can partner up with you and your values by being the consumer. A hundred percent. And the consumers have such a, a powerful and important role brands really respond to consumers, which today makes me so excited because the movement of conscious consumerism, the movement, all of this is going towards something really great. And people are, you know, are asking, wanting more and more transparency and more accountability. And, and it's just allowing us all to level up. And when I think about what we could do when we're grouped together, I mean, with, when I just think about our leather, like if I can get a few more people to purchase leather from the same community, we'll be able to create some better processes and systems for that community. But by myself, we're too small to make significant change yet until we continue to grow. And But by ourselves, like it's, we can do just so much more when we're together. And that's just really exciting to see consumers moving in that direction. I agree with you. I think most brands, certainly smaller brands, and I think some of the bigger ones as well, are trying to, if they've already been about that, they're trying to make sure that their consumers know that they do have that more ethical component. And if they're not about that, I think they're trying to think about, wait, maybe I need to be, (laughs) maybe we need to get on board with this. But I think it's a wonderful opportunity for like what you're doing, which I just, I'm so struck by you saying to yourself, this is what I'm about. This is my passion. And I'm going to figure out a way to make it a real tangible experience to do what your heart was hoping you could do when you were in Thailand, the reason you were there with your husband. And it's just so beautiful to know that, like you said, the more that we understand the power of a purchase, that ethical consumerism can become, it can become our default. Let's try to step into a mindset of, instead of buying things on the fly. And I understand that that's a bit of a luxury to be able to be this intentional. And Mm -hmm. certainly there were times in my life when I was a grad student and I was making no money that this wouldn't be a conversation I could have. And so I know we're conscious of that. But if you are in the position to be able to start thinking about demonstrating your values through your purchasing power, through ethical consumerism, I just think it's a wonder. We wouldn't have the opportunity to do that as consumers if people like you weren't providing us with those opportunities. Yeah. And I think you hit on something like, it's not about perfection, but just progress and process. We have this concept called carry forward. And it's kind of just this whole mindset and this mantra that we rally around and kind of try to like our bigger vision that together with customers and people who are like minded, 
it's this concept of carry forward. And we developed it into this, this future of like, if you can imagine like something that's a future of beauty beyond words. So something that transcends fashion, transcends style. And it's like a world of equal freedoms and equal rights, equal dignity and equal protection, and just really not a world of more things, but just better ones. And so if we can keep making those decisions as customers and as individuals, even for ourselves, day by day, trying to do better, better for ourselves, better for the world, better for our community, together that comes collectively into something very intentional and living more intentional and not compromising as quickly or as easily on things that really matter most and really trying to leave this legacy that will take place because of our actions today. Um, so we kind of have this, again, at upon this concept of carry forward and today might not be perfect, but, and what we're doing might not be perfect, but for day by day, that kind of pursuit is, is really important. And Sapan, it means bridge. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 I thought yeah. I remembered seeing that from the website as well. So it's this bridge between where we are here. And like we spoke to at the beginning of our conversation, and these ideals and these goals and these dreams. But again, because it seems that there's so much darkness and certainly there is with trafficking and with, we know that there's so many people who are working for very low, low wages and in really horrible conditions. So for us to be thinking about one way I can bridge in that space of feeling so helpless, one way I can bridge that gap between what I would love to see in the world and being part of creating that in my own small way is to be, like you said, intentional about my purchases. Let's talk about someone who is thinking, yes, I, I agree with these women, but then they're thinking, okay, so practically speaking, if I purchase a Sapon bag, I'm helping contribute to job creation for women in an environment where there maybe aren't so many opportunities for career and for work, and then also educational opportunities as well. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because when we first started, we gave this massive scholarship and this life-changing opportunity to Mary Tu, who after college, she went on to work at the UN in Myanmar and now has a significant role in parliament to help other women and just people of more um, vulnerabilities have that voice and that platform. But as we like continued again, like we went to our artisans and said, okay, well, is it scholarships? So we've, we've kind of taken this, this opportunity that we gave to her as kind of a unique case and thought, okay, well, how does this fit into our business model? And when we went to our artisans and said, what do you want? Like, what do you need? It was shocking in, um, in some ways. I'm glad I asked because we were thinking, okay, we'll create some more scholarships. We'll do, you know, like invest in some different sewing machines and weaving looms and all this stuff. And they came back to us unequivocally and said, Brooke, like, I know how to send my kid to school. I know how to buy another weaving loom or a sewing machine or whatnot. But if I'm not given the choice or the opportunity to, to work, to have a sustainable livelihood and a job, if I'm not given that choice, I can't do these things, but I know how to do them. And so it dawned on me at that moment, it was the agency for them was, is work and sustainable work that's done in a way that's, that's treating them with dignity and there's accountability and there's transparency. And like you said, as humans, this is kind of what, this is exactly what we all want as humans. Um, and that's kind of with the foundation of human rights as well. And so we thought, okay, well, the best way to mobilize you is to pay you again, you set your wages. So our artisans set their wages for their, their work and, and we don't negotiate that. And so they're being paid upfront. We also 
So it is a lot of job creation above and beyond. And we also pay like 50% of the order before it starts. So they're not, you know, in a vulnerable situation as they make the order. And we learn that directly from them. And over the years of talking with them of their challenges and what's making them more vulnerable in circumstances when they've done business with other people, it's job creation and it's community building. And a lot of our artisans also, when I was asking them in some, just some different questionnaires of what does it look like and how does it feel like once upon work, when you, when we work together and I thought for sure they would all come back with like, it's the economic reasons and how empowering and helpful that is. But a lot of women also came back and talked about the community when they come and get to work with other women. That is really impactful for them and empowering that they get to share some of their struggles and they have this sense of community with other women, which I was just really taken by that it wasn't just financial. And it was interesting also, Karen, that this last year having the store, I just had had a baby in September and went to the store as we're getting ready for the big holiday rush. And as I mentioned, we put all the hardware and get all the product ready to ship out to customers. And the store in the back room in the inventory warehouse was just full of women here in our own community. And it was awesome women at all ages. And it just brought me back to this space in Thailand with the women coming together and them speaking of this interconnectedness and how much that means, as especially being a female, and to feel the support and camaraderie from one another at all ages. So those are some significant ways that we've changed our business model to fit the needs of our community. The word that keeps coming to mind is just respect. Respect for one another. You were respectful of trying to survey your community of workers and what a beautiful extra bonus, not just the economic security that you're able to afford them with this company, but also the building community, which we all know, again, getting back to some of the qualities of life that we know from psych research are helpful. We all need that social support. And when we are in a position of so frenzied and so frenetic, we can't focus on, we've got to get the kids here and there, or to some of the women who are working for Sapan, maybe there was so much economic insecurity that they didn't have the luxury of time to carve out social support. And so now they get economic security by working with you and also get that community that we all need. We are just wired as humans to need that. It's beautiful. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast. And I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. 
Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. So how can listeners, Brooke, besides going and making some purchases, of course, are there other ways to support? They can go online to Sapon and check out all the gorgeous bags. If they happen to be in Nebraska, scoot on by your flagship store. Uh, do you announce your pop-ups? So are they in different areas where people could perhaps attend something along those lines? How can they support you? Definitely. On social, you'll be able to follow We'll be announcing where we're at. We'll be going to Chicago and Kansas and a few other places and then probably New York for trade show here um, in August. But if there is other opportunities in your neck of the woods or in anyone's, the listeners neck of the woods, we love to collaborate and be a part of other events as well. One of the things I would say is one of our amazing competitive advantages as a company is spending a decade in Thailand on the ground. I've built some incredible other supply chains. I, I mentioned at the beginning, I one time was designing nine product lines in all these villages. So we do silver and silk and cotton scarves and just some incredibly exquisite, beautiful things. And our current orders, I mean, we have the opportunity to order exponentially more than what we are at the moment. And so any future collaborations that the listeners may be thinking of, we would love to love to collaborate with if it, you're an influencer or you wanted to source your things ethically and more sustainably, but don't know where to start or how. We've been working with some people, some other brands and other influencers to do that. Um, if you're listening out there and that's something of interest, please reach out. We love collaborating um, with other like-minded individuals who also want to do good. And yeah, follow us on social, connect with us is another really great way to to get involved and to be a part and to be a supportive Sapon. And the trade shows, are those typically open to the public? Or are they for... They're uh, for buyers. Yep. They're okay. for boutiques and buyers. So if that's also, if you're in your city or state or you have a love for, we all have a few favorite boutiques in your area, we'd love to have an introduction to get Sapon out there into more communities. We'd be grateful for an introduction. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's it, I, what I love about it. And I said it earlier, but I want to just say it again is that you've found a way to take those big, scary, overwhelming concerns and put some tangible process for us to be a part of something that really aligns with our values and what we would like to see the world move in the direction of more hope, more empowerment for all. And it's really wonderful, the work you're doing. I'm so glad you were able to share with my community. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this invitation. It means the world to be on your podcast, Karen, and to have the opportunity to share with so many like-minded individuals in your community. So thank you for this gift today. Such a pleasure. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is, and I'll borrow from Sapan's hashtag, carry forward. Let's make intentional choices to build bridges and carry forward human rights. Also, Brooke has provided us with a promo code for Sapon products. Perfect choice for Mother's Day, by the way. Enter love and life, all one word, at checkout to enjoy 15% off your purchase. 
Thanks as always for joining us today. We hope our conversation has inspired you. I know that Brooke's work and her journey has absolutely inspired me. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.